Are you amazed when people drive their vehicles for over 250,000 miles? How often should you change your engine oil? What techniques can improve your mileage? Would an expensive fuel injection cleaning improve your engine performance? This is Car Guy with Brett Beachler of Beachler's Vehicle Care and Repair. Find out how to substantially reduce your cost per mile and extend the longevity of your vehicles. Welcome to Car Guy with Brett Beachler on PeoriaLife.com. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us again on the Car Guy at PeoriaLife.com. My name is Greg McCoy. I'm the co-host. I'm here with the star of the show, Brett Beachler. How are you doing, Brett? Good morning, Greg. I'm doing fantastic. Everybody, as everybody knows, Brett is uh, involved with the Beachler Vehicle Car and Care and Repair Station mm-hmm. at the corner of War Memorial and University. Yes. Busiest intersection in Peoria, right? I believe so. Second busiest, busiest, somewhere yep. in there. And also, I just wanted to mention before we get started that if anybody has any questions about their car or car maintenance and so forth, they can put in their question in the PeoriaLife.com mm-hmm. website, or they can go to Beachler's, uh, do you have a website? Yes, Beachler's.com. Beachler's.com. Super, super simple. Okay. Or they can go to Beachler's in person. Yes, they can. And ask We're happy, question. To, happy to answer any questions. All right, good. Okay, well, the subject of our uh, show today is kind of an interesting one. Noises mm-hmm. in your vehicle. Mm-hmm. Strange noises in your vehicle. You've probably heard quite a few, huh? Oh, I've heard the gamut. A lot of stories? A lot of stories. A lot of stories. <laughs> Many I won't tell. So do people come in and say, hey, I've got this noise, and then they try to make the noise and, and try to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> you want to demonstrate a few? Um, no, I, I leave that up to the customers. <laughs> okay. they're, they're the best demoing people. All right. Okay, well, what tips do you have uh, for somebody who's got a strange noise in their vehicle. Okay, so I'll kind of go through a few areas of the vehicle to help educate folks out there on, on the noises that can occur, and I'll, I'll break these down. But um, one of the biggest things, we, we see noise evaluations every day. Every day they walk through our door. Um, we typically have two or more scheduled on a daily basis on vehicles. Really? You know, we've got to face it, they're mechanical devices. Um, the roads in, in this area are not the greatest, and it's not, I don't believe it's the city's fault. It's just a, it's a, part of the country that we're in um, and the roads just aren't that great and they're going to cause particular components on vehicles to break. Um, so the biggest thing I always encourage folks when they come into their automotive shop is quote unquote, show your mechanic. Don't just tell him or try to explain him with those odd noises that you were just speaking of is the best case scenario is, Hey, Mr. Mechanic, can you go for a ride with me? Um, because typically what we find in cars, it's not, the customer may be concerned about one noise, but the car may be producing three noises. So if we don't get into that show the mechanic situation, our technician takes off of the vehicle and they detect three noises and they come back and they go, which noise is the customer talking about? So the best thing to do is to put the mechanic and the customer together inside the vehicle, have them go do a road test because sometimes they don't occur. It's interesting. We get cars in and not producing the noise and the customer says i promise you it's making the noise and they come in and drive it and it's not making the noise so they they can get intermittent so the best case scenario is for you to get inside the car with your mechanic and go for a five or ten minute ride and duplicate the the conditions that you drive through and then you can say that noise that area of the vehicle so that brings up an interesting question yes this is a rabbit trail probably (laughs) but you have any advice for somebody who's got a problem whether it's a noise or some other problem that's an intermittent problem happens sometimes happens doesn't happen other times and it always happens when they're not at the repair shop they go into the repair shop everything's fine 
they go home, then they got the problem. So any any advice on that? No, the best advice we give our customers is when it does occur and you're in the area, just literally pull in, grab one of us, jump inside the car and go. Because um, we know how frustrated they are because I've had noises in my car that I, you know, they come and go. And it's frustrating because I don't like noises. I'm, it's just my pet peeve in a car. If you're going to drive a car, you know, not to have noises because what noises do is they build a case against the vehicle and the customer says, I just want to get rid of this car. And typically that statement costs them a lot of money, um, and upgrading vehicles and car payments and things like that. So, um, we're always big encouragers of address the issue on the car, take care of it, put it behind you and move on. Um, but in those situations, uh, Greg is, we, we always encourage folks to don't, don't be shy about stopping in because we've, we have this happen almost probably every week. Once a week, something like this happens where we say, Hey, noise won't produce itself, reproduce and just stop in. And customers are kind of relieved when you say, just, I promise you just stop in between seven to five during the week and we'll go for a ride with you. So most, most, most of the time that addresses the issue, but it does occur where it literally does not occur when it comes to us. So, Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry for the rabbit trail. No, no worries. No worries. So first point, know the conditions when the noise is occurring. Um, I can't tell you how many times we're, you know, we don't get that customer matched up with the technician and the technician doesn't know it's in a, it's in a left turn at 12 miles an hour over bumps that, you know, the, the noise is being produced. So you want to know exactly when these noises are occurring. Um, couple of questions I have here. What was my speed when the noise occurred? It's, that's one of the biggest complaints that technicians have is, hey, we don't even know what speed it is. So a good advisor pulls all this information out of the customer. Uh, did it occur in a turn? You want to know that. Did it occur in a turn? Is it in a straightaway? Is it going over bumps? Uh, did it occur when braking? Um, a lot of a lot of noises we see will either, um, they, they will go away when, when braking because things kind of tighten up in the car. Uh, next one is, did it occur when you're accelerating the vehicle? Um, and an interesting one is we get some that occur when they're going uphill or downhill. So you really want to get into deciphering exactly what the conditions are when the noises are occurring. Sounds like when you go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. You got exactly. something wrong. The doctor says, okay, when does it happen? Mm-hmm. Does it happen when you eat this food? Mm-hmm. Tell me everything, but when it, where does it hurt? Mm-hmm. It, it just really sounds like going to the doctor. It does. And it, we, we call it uh, kind of triangulating on the on the, the condition of the vehicle, uh, the more questions you can ask or the more information the customer can describe for us, the the lower the evaluation time, which is better for the customer's wallet. So the best thing is to describe it as best you can and go for a quick ride with your technician, hands down, every time. Does it happen perfectly that way? Because we have a number of customers that will leave their vehicles at night. It's really convenient. They can leave their vehicles up to 930 at night. The catch with that is, you get a noise evaluation in the morning, the technician doesn't have a customer sitting there. So in those situations, we, we attempt to get as best a description from the customer as we possibly can. So, okay. All right. That answered those questions. So the next big one, brake squeaks. Um, there are really only a couple of different reasons that brakes do squeak. Um, sometimes you'll hear a high-pitched noise from your brakes. And many of the domestic... And the Asian producers, manufacturers, have what they call a brake wear indicator. When it gets down to 5 to 10% of material remaining in the brakes, there will be a little tiny piece of metal that comes in contact with the rotor. And let me explain brakes. Um, imagine your bicycle brake system. Okay, you've got the brake pads that clamp down on the rims. Okay, the rims 
serve the exact same purpose as the rotors on your vehicle. Okay. The brake pads that are on the bicycle are the same thing as a car's brake pads. So just imagine a couple of brake pads, some in metallic or there some, many of them are ceramic today that literally when they engage, they press down on those rotors rims and causes friction, slows the vehicle down. Okay. So when those brake pads wear down, that material wears down to a certain point, there'll be a little tiny metal squealer that will come in contact with the brake rotor and it causes a high pitched squeal and it tells you, Hey, your brakes are getting low. Specifically designed to make the noise. Yes. Without causing damage. Exactly. Specifically designed to make the noise without causing damage. So, um, if that is the case, if you've got a squealer in your vehicle and, and every vehicle is different, if you've got a squealer in your vehicle, that's the time you want to get it into your local shop and, and have them inspect brakes. Typically what they do is they inspect brake lines. Uh, they inspect thicknesses of brake pads and they inspect the proper thing to do, I should say. And they inspect thickness of the brake rotor because believe it or not, every rotor, every manufacturer out there has what they call a discard limit. So if a rotor gets so thin and it's down to the thousandths of an inch, we as repair shops must discard the rotors. It's what they call a discard limit because if they get too thin, and we've seen this before, if they get too thin, the rotor literally comes apart. And it does a lot more damage. Um, not desirable for the customer either because it's it's a pretty catastrophic event. Um, the car will still stop, but it will not stop very well. Do they ever turn rotors anymore? Yeah, they actually call it, um, the proper name is call it resurface. So you're literally putting a new surface on the rotor. When you can resurface the rotors, which saves the expense of replacing the rotor, uh, when you can resurface them is when you fall above that discard limit. Okay, so there, when there's enough material to resurface a rotor, they used to call it turning back in the old day because you literally turn the rotor and grind a layer off, but now they call it a resurfacing because ultimately when you put brakes on a vehicle, you want to have a clean new surface on the rotor for it to to brake as best as it possibly is and designed to do. Um, if you don't resurface that, that existing rotor, that new pad actually is trying to make grooves into the old pad groove, and you'd almost have to see it on a microscopic level, but that new pad doesn't contact the way it should to the new to the old rotor. So do you resurface every time you replace pads? Not every time. Just you have to check for that? Not, you have to check for the thickness of the brake rotor itself. So not every time do you resurface rotors. If you replace rotors, you have a choice of resurfacing or not resurfacing the new rotor. Um, typically it's a little bit more expense on resurfacing the new rotor, but that is the perfect way to do a brake job. Spend a little bit extra money to have the new rotors resurfaced. Then you've got a beautiful brand new surface for the brand new brake pads to clamp down on. And you get the maximum braking out of your brakes. That's the ultimate way. The other benefit to doing that is if a shop like ours has a resurfacing unit that actually connects onto the hub, you, you actually pick up on the intricacies of the hub you cannot see with the naked eye so it makes that rotor resurface perfectly to the hub itself so um i would encourage you to ask your shop it's a simple question do you have an on the car brake lathe most most shops have this piece of equipment we have it it's expensive but it's a perfect way to do it it is a perfect way to make a, a new rotor uh, perform exactly to the hub of the vehicle so any questions on that? No. Okay, good. It's good. Okay, so um, as a side note, some high-pitched squeaks are actually caused by inferior brake pads. Um, we see this not nearly as much anymore because companies are starting to opt for um, 
much better quality brake pads. But we used to see often in the industry where guys would put on these very inexpensive brake pads trying to save people a couple of bucks. But then the customer drives away, and a few thousand miles later, they start squealing. And the only thing to correct it, I feel bad for the folks, but the only thing to correct it is to replace them with quality brake pads and then resurface or replace the rotors. That's really the only way to do it. Um, here's here's another interesting thing about brakes. So not that everybody's going to go into their shop and ask them, hey, do you, do you wash my brakes properly? So when you do a resurfacing of the brake rotors like we just talked about, okay, some shops will actually clean them with what they call a brake cleaner. It's a chemical. Well, that, believe it or not, is not the proper way to do it because there are tiny, tiny little microscopic metallic particles that are on that brake uh, rotor itself. And believe it or not, the proper way to wash those things is soap and water. It's really? a chemical reaction that washes every, every one of those particles off, and it gets rid of all those um, little metallic particles, and all those go away. And what happens is if you, if you don't wash them properly and you clean it with a brake cleaner, there's still tiny little metallic particles on there, and then they embed inside the brake pad itself. Then you get the nice squealing that goes on down the road when you apply the brakes. And guess what? The only way to correct that is to either pay the money to have a technician sand the brake pads and then clean the rotors themselves or just replace the brake pads. So that one particular decision that some people make to not properly wash the brake rotors uh, causes squeals down the road. And it's really annoying squeals. You can only turn your radio up so loud to get rid of those squeals. Do people anymore replace their own brake pads? Oh, yeah. And if they do, how often do they check the rotor? And is that a problem? Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of a problem because here's what's going on in the manufacturing world. Um, the, their job is to re, to increase cafe standards, increase the fuel economy on cars. And they are looking at every avenue possible to reduce the weight on the vehicle. Well, it used to be almost every time we could resurface rotors because the rotors are big and hoggy and you know there's plenty of meat on the rotors. But they make those rotors as small but efficient as possible. Okay. Typically, most owners do not get one resurfacing out of rotors. Typically, it's a discard almost every time now at replacement of rotors. So does that kind of answer your question? So here's the catch, though. When you do your own brakes, which is fine. I mean, there's guys out there that are mechanically equipped, and they can do that kind of stuff. The, the thing I mentioned a couple minutes ago, they put new pads on the old rotors. I guess that's kind of what I was getting at. Yes. So... That's not the ideal thing. So, so you, you got a pad that may not be contacting that rotor 100% the way it should be. The other thing is most of those guys or gals that are doing their own brakes in their driveway or in their garage don't have a micrometer to measure that rotor, uh, and they don't know the specs. They can go to their local um, auto parts store, and the auto parts store should know the specifications on the discard limit of those rotors. Um, but typically... People are doing what they call pad slap. They're just taking pads out, putting pads in. They're not cleaning the slides that the pads go on. They're not lubricating the slides that the pads go on. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had customers come in and, hey, I did my own brakes, and now they're doing this, and they're not breaking right. And we say, well, let's try to teach you. You didn't clean the pad slides, and you didn't lubricate them, which allow that pad to seat into that brake rotor evenly. Um, and we see a lot of pads that wear out prematurely because people didn't lubricate them p- properly. So a little hint for guys that are out there doing their own doing their own brake jobs. But yeah, it, it occurs, and we we accept it. It's part of the industry. And um, but we just you know just know in the back end that you're not doing the perfect brake job on your car. So bottom line is, if you're doing your own brakes, you can't just go in 
swap out the brake pads and bingo, you're done. You're done, yes. But down the road, you could be causing some things if you don't do it properly and if you don't get the rotors resurfaced. You're done, but you haven't done it right. Exactly. You've not done them <laughs> the proper book way to do them for your, you or your wife to be braking properly and getting the maximum braking in the vehicle. So, But I'm all for do-it-yourselfers, but you got to be careful when you're doing this stuff. And I'm, I'm one of these guys that when it comes to brakes, brakes I don't are, even like messing with my own brakes. Brakes are fairly important. Yeah, they're kind of important. Very, very important. So, um, okay, so kind of address the brake, brake squeak, brake grinding. Uh, this is when they've gone too far. Um, and this is pretty self-explanatory. Um, what occurs on this is the brake pad itself wears out, and there's a metal backer plate. And then the metal backer plate starts grinding into the rotor, and that is not ideal. You don't get maximum braking power out of those, and it wears the rotors out really, really quickly. So if you have a grind, you need to get into a shop or get them changed as quickly as possible. And typically, if you have a grind that's gone too far, you do not want to do a pad slap, as you know what we mentioned before. Because that pad starts going into the, the grooves that that backing plate set. And it's really, really, it'll wear that pad out really, really quickly. And it'll get deep grooves in them and it won't break the way you want it to. So um, just just be very cognizant. If you start getting into metal to metal and grind, don't turn the radio up to drown out that noise. Address it as quickly as you can. Okay. Um, one thing to know, a lot of, a lot of European vehicles, higher end European vehicles have what they call brake pad wear indicators. Um, these are great. They tell you when the brake pads need to be replaced. Um, the catch is those brake wear pad indicators add money to your brake job because those typically need to be replaced. It's hard, very difficult to extract them without damaging these brake wear indicators. What do you mean with, when, how is it indicating that? Okay, it so. It's electronic. Oh, it's electronic. Yeah. So it's okay. measuring, and it's it's set inside the brake pad itself, okay. and it tells you the percentage or whatever number they present to you. Really? It shows up on your mm-hmm. dashboard? Yeah, it'll tell you. Like your the... tire inflation mm-hmm. kind of thing? Really? Yes. Neat technology, um, but it just adds expense to doing brakes. Not a huge amount. Typically 40 to $60, but, you know, I don't know. It's it's your personal preference in terms of what you want to do. Forty to sixty dollars per tire? No, or usually per axle. Per axle. Per axle, yes, when doing brakes. Hmm. So um, let's go on to squeaky engines. Uh, typically, squeaky engines are caused. You see a lot of water get inside the compartment, and what we see are uh, there are underbelly shields that can get damaged and allow water into the pulley, the the belt pulley system. So if you ever have that, and typically what causes that is people pull their car right over the parking block and it pulls down that that underbelly shield, and those are pretty important. Manufacturers put things on cars for a reason. Um, you don't typically want to tear it off, remove it, and get rid of it. Um, they serve their purpose, and it keeps the moisture and the rain out of the underbelly of the engine. So squeaks you generally want to address. Um, there are other things that can cause squeaks inside of an engine, um, but you definitely definitely want to address it because eventually something wears out. You, so, talk, you can help talk about the water pump? Is that on here? Well, you can talk about the water pump, but a lot of times water pumps will leak, um, and sometimes you'll see coolant get onto the belt themselves. And once that happens, the coolant starts saturating the belt, and uh, then it's all over. You've got to replace both water pump and the belt itself. Because what happens is pulleys, there are a couple smooth pulleys, and there are a few grooved pulleys. And when you get the, the coolant, the antifreeze, it's super, super slippery. And you get that on the belt, and it gets onto the smooth pulley, you'll see a belt fall off on vehicles so we've all seen car or heard cars going down the highway going down the road mm-hmm. squeaking mm-hmm. the first thing that pops into your mind water pump yeah 
don't know if that's right or wrong. Well, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit right, but there are other things that can cause squeaks, and I won't delve into those because it, it really is a, an evaluation deal. So uh, thumping when turning or a noise when turning, if you've got a front-wheel drive car or a four-wheel drive car, there's a thing in there called a CV drive, drive axle. It's called a constant velocity drive axle. Well, these drive axles have U-joints inside of them, but around these U-joints is a rubber boot that keeps the grease inside that keeps those U-joints lubricated. Well, those rubber boots wear out, grease gets lost out of that area, joint gets dry, and once the joint gets dry, it starts making a noise. So you definitely want to address that, if you, especially if you have a front-wheel drive car. You want to address it because that's where your drive's coming from. We had a car in the other day that had a bro- broken drive axle. Um, I don't think it was because of this. It was a young kid who's driving the car, maybe a little bit hard <laughs> on equipment, but I'm not assessing anything. I'm just giving them the evidence. Um Thumping or shaking when braking. Uh, you will see this. A lot of people come in with complaints when, they, when they're coming down off of an interstate speed and they start braking and your steering wheel starts shaking um, and you have different grades of shaking. Basically, imagine your rim on your bicycle having a high spot, okay? And the faster you go, the faster cadence that high spot is. Um, the only way to correct that is one of two ways. Resurface the rotors or replace the rotors. That's the only thing that will correct it. Basically, what's going on is... Um, there's some science behind this, but there's a variation of thickness of brake rotor, um, and it can occur with the intricacies of the hub, and I won't get too deep into it, but um, it can occur on many, many vehicles. Many times this happens. So thumping while driving down the road, typically the culprit on this, um, especially at slower speeds, if you can drive across a parking lot and you see your steering wheel shake without braking, you generally have a tire issue on the vehicle, Okay. Um, and you can't, nece- you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily able to see it from a naked eye, but there is what they call uh, tread separation internally inside the tire that can cause that. Basically, a tire is at the end of its life and it needs to be replaced if something like that's occurring. Um, the only way, real way to deduct which tire is causing that problem is to start swapping out tires, moving forward, back, left, right, and see which direction the, the thumb goes. So, interesting little piece of information every tire's got a dot number okay last four digits indicate the manufacturing date okay the the first two of the last four say your date your number is 4512 first two of the last four indicate the week of the year that tire was manufactured the last two indicate what year is manufactured so if you've got 4512 is made in the 45th week and in 2012 so kind of an interesting piece of information yeah i didn't know that yeah so shaking of the wheel is mostly mostly shaking a steering wheel. Mm-hmm. It's mostly a tire problem. Mainly caused by tires. There are other no components al- on the vehicle. Alignment that, issues. And that kind no, of stuff. typically, you know, it's interesting. We get people in the door that walk in the door and say, "I need an alignment." I say, our first question to them always is, "Why do you need an alignment?" And nine times out of ten, they're going to say, "I got a pole problem." I go, "Okay, well, I can charge you the money to do the alignment, but you're probably going to walk out still with a pole problem. So, would you like us to address why the vehicle's pulling left or right?" and then get you an answer, or do you want us to just do an alignment? Most people go, okay. They start backing off and go, okay. Um, And I understand it. Alignment, your brain starts thinking, hey, the car is not aligned. It's going left or right. I totally get it. Um, But over 90% of our pull problems are caused by tires and not by alignment. So there's a lot of money out there spent on vehicles that may not need to be spent when it comes to people pulling the trigger on doing alignments. That's a real good point. I think Mm -hmm. that's a major misperception that's out there in the public. Major. Yes, yeah, we see we see it almost on a daily basis. People with complaints of pull problems, and we kind of have to put the skids on it. 
um, you know, we're, we're out to protect them and their wallet. And of course we're out to sustain ourselves as a business, but we're better off educating people and telling them that it's not the alignment. Again, it's kind of like going to the doctor. If you mm-hmm. walk into the doctor's office, say, I think I have cancer. Right. <laughs> the doctor's not going to say, okay, well, we'll treat you for cancer. Exactly. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's going to say, okay, back up. Mm-hmm. What, what are you experiencing? Exactly. Frequently it's not cancer. Exactly. Good point, Greg. Okay, so the next one, uh, whining engine. Typically, it's not the kids that are the cause. Actually, you just give them a cookie and away they go. Um, but the whining engine typically is caused by power steering systems. Um, and you'll see a, some of the newer cars actually have electric power steering, so there's not an issue with any fluid running through the system. But most cars still have a fluid, uh, pressurized fluid in the system. Um, if it is abnormally low, you add the fluid, but I can almost assure you there's going to be some kind of fluid loss going in the system. So you monitor that uh, for a small period of time. If you keep adding fluid, then you need to get it into your shop and have it addressed. Because what happens is if a system gets too low, uh, there are a couple of key components in the steering system. One of them is rather expensive. It's called a power steering rack. It's basically the skeletal muscle system of the power steering system. Um, that's not inexpensive. It's anywhere between $500 to $1,000 to replace that. So if a system gets too low and it gets so low that you damage that piece of equipment that maybe you just needed a power steering pump that was leaking or a power steering hose. Um, and I hate to see somebody who could have spent 200 bucks spends 1200 bucks on both repairs at that point. So um, keep a pretty close eye on it. Don't ignore it. Um, that's one of the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to problems with vehicles is they ignore them and they hope they go away. We've all done it. I mean, including myself, um, but don't ignore it. Address it as quickly as you can because it can cost some money down the road if you if you don't address it. Typically, they don't go away. No, they don't go away. They don't. They don't fix themselves. <laughs> as with, as with most problems in life. Yes, as with uh, most most problems with in life. Exactly they right. They don't uh, go away if you ignore them. Exactly. <laughs> so the last one uh, we'll talk about is uh, the vehicle starting noise. Um, some people sometimes people start vehicles and they'll get kind of taps in their engine. What that typically is is lifters inside the engine start causing issues. Um, it's not necessarily catastrophic. Just monitor it. If it progresses worse and worse and worse, eventually you're going to need to address that noise. Okay, the second engine noise is more of a rattle, a deeper, uh, I, I can't describe it on the radio very well, but um, it's a deeper noise that can occur can, in the can engine. Can you try to make the, the noise? <laughs> I can't try to make the noise because uh, I'm not a very good noise producer. Um, but it's typically deeper inside the engine. So the first thing I always tell folks is, or explain to folks is, check the oil level in your vehicle. You know, we had that one I was explaining to you before the show the other day that, um, customer heard a noise inside their engine, got it into a, a, a shop out of town here, shop quickly assessed it. They shouldn't have quickly assessed it, said it was an engine, but it ended up being a low oil level causing a noise in the engine, but it wasn't so low that it damaged the engine and it ended up being a fraction of the cost of what it was. Um, but typically the first thing I always encourage people to do is check the oil level on the vehicle, period. Um, it's the best thing they can possibly do. Mm-hmm. So Good. Okay. All right. Well, something else we want to talk about briefly today is you've mentioned in the past that you do something you call lunch and learns. Yes. So could you t- tell us about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I'll quickly tell you about it. Um, so what I did is I – this actually came before the book. So it dovetailed off of our um, car care clinics that we do at our business. Typically, the car care clinics last for two and a half, three hours. So what I did is I condensed this, and I said, you know what? I'm going to take this on the road. So – I will go to businesses, organizations, and I call it lunch and learns, but I've done breakfast, I've done lunch, and I've done dinners at presenting this information. I've done one anywhere from 45 minutes 
very condensed version, um, upwards of two, two and a half hours. Do you, uh, do you provide the food? I don't necessarily oh. provide the food, okay. um, but I show up, I've got projector, I've got screen if necessary, I've got PowerPoint that I bring. It's, it's no charge to the organization. My whole goal is to teach people what to do, what not to do on vehicles, tell them what we do right, tell them what we do wrong in the industry, tell them a little bit our, about our philosophy. We're people, we're human, we're not perfect, we make mistakes, I get that. Um, but I want people to not be so apprehensive when it comes to addressing vehicles and their issues. And the other thing I'm, you, you know, me, Greg, I'm really big on this is keeping your car as long as you possibly can. I talk about numbers and how expensive they are to operate over a long period of time. And in the end, it's just a piece of equipment that's not going with us. So it, it's very effective. People walk out of there and you know, the nice thing is, is during this, it gives everybody a chance to converse with me and ask questions that they may not necessarily be confident enough to ask when they walk into their shop. So that's the nice part is that there's a lot of question and answer that goes on that people just, their minds start stirring and they write down these questions and we get to the question and answer session and they go, okay, I got a question for you about this check engine light on my car or about this tire on my car. And it's, it's almost like all the walls are dropped and they feel less anxiety or no anxiety to be able to ask questions. So somebody that knows quite a bit about cars. I've been around them a long time. So if anybody's interested, go to my website, beachlers.com. There's actually a link on lunch and learn, and you can just straight email me and ask me, can you set me up a time? All right. Sounds so. good. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Brett. You're welcome. Uh, once again, 30 minutes of great information. Mm-hmm. So again, I want to remind everybody, if you have a question about your vehicle or about anything having to do with vehicles, uh, contact Brett either at his website, beachler.com or on uh, PeoriaLife.com. So thanks again, everybody, for joining us with The Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. PeoriaLife.com.